I've been doubly set up now. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, good to see everybody. Um, good to see some faces from yesterday. I was thinking, just before Pravasra introduced me, that uh, in a way, this would have made a very good introduction to what I did yesterday. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it's just uh, not that way around. You can't reverse time. We might, in fact, be uh, investigating the nature of time uh, later on in the evening, but... Um, one thing is sure, we can't reverse it. So uh, those that were here on the day yesterday, you might hear me saying a number of things that I said already. Um, but uh, I trust you'll uh, be patient with that. So, yeah, um, Prabhastra told me that you know, the, the, the course that you've been doing is around just sitting. And he also told me that all of you have at least done a basic course here. Is that, is that true? Is there anyone who, who hasn't done a basic course, an introductory course? Well, that's good. So we've got the basis there to, to talk about what we're going to do this evening. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of the way in which we practice specifically meditation in the Friends of the Western Buddhist Order, we, we base what we do on a system of training which... Uh, well, Sangrachta, the founder of the Yetrabiyo, he, he didn't exactly invent this. He, he more kind of extrapolated it from various traditional sources. And he came up with what he calls a system of meditation. Now, when you come along to learn meditation at an Yetrabiyo center, generally what you're first introduced to is mindfulness of breathing and metabhavana. Um, so I assume that all of you are familiar with those practices. And what sometimes is introduced and sometimes isn't introduced, along with the mindfulness of breathing and the metabhavana, is just sitting. Now, I assume if Prabhasara has had anything to do with it, and I've had any influence on him at all, um, that just sitting has been introduced along with those two, you know, what, what we could call the two main practices. Yeah. So there you've got a kind of basic structure, a basic framework, um, which is that you do a practice like the mindfulness of breathing and then you always follow it with a short period of just sitting. And then you do a practice such as the metabhavana and then again you always follow that with a short period of just sitting. So what's going on there is that when you do the practice, in a sense you're, you're applying, well you could say the practice represents applied effort yeah, so the effort is directed towards cultivating a particular quality. Yeah, so in the case of mindfulness, you might be mindfulness of breathing. You could say that you're cultivating mindfulness itself. Um, or you might specifically be cultivating uh, absorption, yeah, a state of absorption. In other words, becoming more and more one-pointed on the breath. Uh, or with the mindfulness of breathing, you might actually be cultivating some kind of reflection on the nature of things as they are. Yeah, I don't know to what extent this has been introduced in the courses that you've done, but you know, for instance, uh, very, very simply, with the mindfulness of breathing, you can just become aware towards the end of the practice, when you've, when you've, so to speak, settled down somewhat, 
that the breath is changing. You, know, you never have the same breath twice. Um, I mean, it's very, it's very, very repetitive to the point of tedium, but you could say that the breath is never the same breath. You never have the same breath twice. And actually, as you become more absorbed in awareness of the breath, at times you can become very, very interested indeed in just the qualities of, of what's going on. It's like each breath is, in fact, unique. Yeah. And if, if your awareness becomes that sharp, that clear, that precise, you can become aware of very, very subtle variations in the breathing. You know, so that would be like becoming absorbed in the breathing. And then when you become that absorbed, your mind is naturally free of all the usual kind of uh, garbage which is going on, all the sort of yattering that's going on all the time. It becomes clear of that. And in that, in that comparatively clear space, clear of um, endless thoughts, you can then just become aware of the nature of the breath as impermanent. Yeah. And in this way, you begin to penetrate some of the the most important Buddhist teachings which point towards the way things are, the way things really are, you know, which is what we're concerned with realising and penetrating in Buddhist practice. Yeah. So the mindfulness of breathing alone you know, can involve a number of different applications of effort. With regard to effort, um, I think a mistake that people almost inevitably make before, in a sense, before their practice becomes, um, well, settled down, before you become really clear about what you're doing. I think one thing that we can do is make too much effort. Yeah. And I, I don't know, have you, have you done any workshops with effort? You know, so, yeah. Application of effort. So, you know, sometimes you, you can sort of do a practice where you, you kind of deliberately make as much effort as you possibly can. And you know, maybe you, 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 you notice the effects of that. You know, then you make no effort at all and you notice the effects of that. And then you look for, as it were, the right level of effort. And the right level of effort in any given circumstance is always just enough to get the job done. Yeah, there's no point in sort of, um, well, you know, beating your head against a brick wall in order to, uh, I don't know, I'm... Um, Losing my metaphor here. Anyway, you know, to bang in a nail with your head, um, <laughs> but you get you get what I'm saying. You you don't need to make more effort than the amount of effort needed, simply to cultivate what you're cultivating. So I, th- I think a mistake that people often make at the beginning is uh, just applying too much effort, really. Um, and actually, applying too much effort can make it quite difficult to, as it were, get the job done. Yeah. So you need to learn to relax. Now, that's partly the purpose of having the just sitting at the end of every practice. It's like, it may be that you've been applying just the, re- the right amount of effort. Uh, or you may, you, know, you may have been applying too much or too little. But when it comes to the just sitting, in a sense, you let go of... Well, you let go of everything, including the idea of the amount of effort that you're making. Yeah, and you just sit there. You just let go of any idea of developing something or cultivating something or getting somewhere, and you just simply sit there. Yeah. So the just sitting is like a space after the, you know, the input of the, the particular practice that you've been doing. And, and sometimes um, just sitting is referred to as 
a non-practice in, in, in distinction to the practice that you've done before you do the just sitting. Yeah. So um, remember, I'm talking in terms of uh, Sangharachita's system of meditation here. Another thing which happens sometimes when, when you let go of the practice and just sit is that because somehow you relax quite instinctually at a deep level, or well, that can happen, you find that it's like all through the practice you don't seem to be getting anywhere, and suddenly when you stop, you, so to speak, get somewhere. Yeah, the, the practice, so to speak, happens. So that's another possibility, or that's another thing that happens with just sitting. In fact, th- there is, um, I don't know if this is going in too much detail, but in Tantric Buddhism, in the Vajrayana, as we call it, um, there are what are called sadhanas, which are, are whole systems of practice around certain visualized Buddhas, Bodhisattvas, and so forth. And in these sadhanas, in these practices, which are, are quite, you know, they're, they're almost like whole systems of practice, but everyone is divided into two aspects. There's what's called the development stage and the completion stage. Yeah. So the development stage is where, you know, in the case of a sadhana, a visualization practice, you, you visualize a Buddha or a Bodhisattva form. Maybe you visualize it out there, as it were, in the you know, infinite space, or sometimes you visualize your, yourself as the form. You visualize yourself as a Buddha or a Bodhisattva. And the purpose is that ultimately that form represents the Buddha or Bodhisattva that we are. Yeah. So we're, we're, so to speak, assimilating ourselves to our own ultimate awakening. But uh, you, you do this, and then you know, once, once you've got the form there, various things happen, lights appear, seed syllables appear, you know, blessings occur, verses are said, you know, and so on and so forth. So there, there are many, many different kinds of um, practice which are done within the development stage. But the point I'm getting at is that that's always followed by what's called the completion stage. And the completion stage, to all intents and purposes, is just sitting yeah. And the completion stage is regarded as the stage where, so to speak, it all comes together. And actually, in, potentially, you, you manifest, you truly manifest uh, you know, with the qualities of that Buddha or Bodhisattva, you know, whether those qualities are wisdom or compassion or energy or whatever. You, know, you actually manifest as that Buddha or Bodhisattva. So that's the completion stage, which is essentially just sitting. So I think that is a principle which underlies the whole um, system of practice which Sangharachita outlined. It's like you know, each aspect has a development stage and a completion stage. You know, so you've got the mindfulness of breathing, just sitting, metabhavana, just sitting. And then the other two are referred to as Sangharachita, by Sangharachita as spiritual death, which means some kind of insight practice, some kind of cultivation of insight and that's followed by just sitting. And the final one is spiritual rebirth. And spiritual rebirth, for <coughs> members of the order, that means actually doing a visualization practice um, in the way that I just described, or something along those lines. Uh, again, followed by just sitting. In fact, as I said, just sitting is integral to these sadhanas. But there's another, um, in a sense, a more more universal meaning to spiritual rebirth, which is simply, it is spiritual rebirth. In other words, it is actually realizing insight. So 
from that point of view, spiritual rebirth isn't something that we can do. You know, you can't sit down and think, okay, I'll do a bit of spiritual rebirth now, and, uh, you know, light bulb sort of goes on at the top of your head. It's not like that. Spiritual rebirth in the, in the sense of insight or awakening can happen, but we can't make it happen. It's like everything else that we do, in a sense, is, is setting the, well, setting the ground, or, you know, setting the conditions for that to happen, but we can't make it happen directly. So, for that reason, this evening, I'm going to be concerned mainly with the first three stages. And actually, I think what we'll do is we'll go through um, the first stage. I didn't mention what the, these were. So the first stage, which we teach via the mindfulness of breathing initially, is about integration. You know, so integration in the sense of simply being able to bring your energies together, as it were, on one on one object. You know, so in, in the case of the mindfulness of breathing, obviously it's the breath. But potentially there are other practices which produce the same effect. So that, that's the first stage, integration, followed by just sitting. And the second stage, um, more obviously, uh, Sangharachita refers to as positive emotion. So positive emotion is, well, metta is a positive emotion. Uh, but there are also other positive emotions, which you've probably come across. Um, from the Buddhist point of view, there's also compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. You know. And there's also um, the quality of shraddha, or confidence and trust, trust and confidence. Um, trust and confidence in our practice and in the Dharma, and you know, in our degree of realisation of that. You know. So that's another very important positive emotion, you could say. So, is everyone following me so far? Are there any questions? Um, do feel free. I mean, if anything's unclear, or especially if you can't hear me at any point, uh, at, you know, at the back and so on, um, do sort of wave or call out, because uh, I can sort of, well, become inaudible at times. Okay. So, now, the relationship between just sitting within the system of meditation... And then there's also just sitting as a practice in its own right. So I think what we'll do is in the first half, between now and um, about half past eight, we'll, we'll do some work with just sitting within the system of meditation. In other words, in, in relation to mindfulness of breathing, metabhavana, and maybe a bit of um, you know, some kind of insight exploration yeah we'll do the very very short sessions obviously because you know we can't do full length in about 50 minutes so we're looking at doing three sort of practices quite quite short that'll just give you an overview and then after the break we'll look more at just sitting as a practice in its own right and where that can take us um or possibly where it doesn't take us um, because actually it doesn't take us anywhere, but uh, I'll leave you. I'll leave that hanging for now. Um, okay. So, right. What we'll do now is, if you set up for meditation, <clears throat> I'll 
I think so, yeah. So for about, um, this will go on for about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and what we're going to do is just a very short session of mindfulness of breathing. In other words, probably you can just take up one stage of the practice. And that can be whichever stage you find it useful to work with. Yeah, so that's, that's up to you. Uh, and then we'll follow that with a few minutes just sitting. And then we'll go straight into another short metabhavana. And again... You might choose just to do the first stage of the metabhavana, <coughs> or actually you, you can choose to do any stage of the practice, but that will only last about 10 minutes, and then another short stage, uh, another short period of just sitting. So that's just to get a feeling for, as it were, the dynamic of you know, those practices followed by just sitting, coming together. Also, it's just quite interesting sometimes to notice what can happen when you deliberately do a very short period of meditation. It's not necessarily going to be, well, as ineffective as you might possibly think it might be. So, you know, just be open to what can occur in quite a short period of meditation. Um, and after that, we'll we'll probably do another one with with some sort of investigation into our experience. Okay, and that will be a kind of insight, a kind of insight investigation. Okay, so we'll do all that before the break. So fasten your seatbelts. Okay, so just set up briefly by bringing awareness to your body and the sensations of your body. Just letting awareness pervade your body and notice any tensions or holdings on. And just let them go, let them relax. Check any areas of your body that you know do tend to become tense. And then, when you've done that, come back to general awareness of your body. Just taking in whatever sensations are 
happening in the body. And you might also notice, apart from the sensations which come and go, there's a kind of general sense of aliveness or a sort of field of energy about the body. Almost a sort of tingling, alive feeling. doesn't have any obvious clear shape or form. So if that's obvious to you, just be aware of that as well. If it's not, don't worry about it. And then let your awareness be drawn towards the sensations in your body which are associated with the breathing. Just whatever is most obvious. And let your attention gradually and increasingly rest upon that. from here just move in your own way at your own pace into one or other of the stages of mindfulness of breathing just for five minutes or so. Let the breath be natural and 
apply just enough effort and not too much.
Okay, now drop the mindfulness of breathing and continue just sitting. So let go of any concern about making an effort or not making an effort. And just sit there. So whatever's arising is the just sitting. Okay, so come back to overall body awareness. Let your awareness be sensitive to the sensations of the body. to the area of the heart, the heart centre which is in the middle of the chest. 
Just notice what's there. So no need to assume that any particular thing should be going on. Just notice the heart. So as we move towards cultivating metta, just have a sense that the heart is in fact the centre of your being. That's where you're cultivating from. So with that sense, moving <coughs> into the first stage or whichever stage of Metabhavana you want to cultivate for, about five to ten minutes. So cultivating metta, not as a pleasant feeling, but as a heartfelt wish that beings, including yourself, be happy and well.
Okay, so let go of cultivating metal and just sit. Okay, so when you're ready, stretch your legs if you want. Okay, so while you're stretching your legs, just try to retain some degree of the the kind of mindfulness that you were, well, that you realised in that last just sitting. So it's still just sitting. We're just stretching our legs or just yeah, whatever a bit, but it's the same same awareness because we're going to go almost immediately into another short sit. Okay, so we've um, 
we've done a short practice embodying the principle of integration, just mindfulness um, of breathing, uh, followed by just sitting. Then a short practice embodying the principle of positive motion, followed by just sitting. So now we're going to do a short practice embodying the principle of spiritual death. And um, I, among other people, aren't sort of totally... Yeah, um, I'm not totally delighted with the the title Spiritual Death because it sort of has rather ominous sort of overtones. Um, I I much prefer uh, insight or cultivating insight or even just waking up um, because that's what this stage is about. I think the... the, um, the reason, as far as I can sort of glean for myself, why Sangharashida chose to speak about spiritual death is because insight practice is about um, our illusions and delusions dying. You know, it's not about us dying, um, although that could be one thing that we contemplate, but we won't do that this evening. But it, you know, it is about um, death to illusion. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in other words, illusion just falls away, illusion drops away, delusion drops away. Yeah. So we need to become clear about, um, well, what we're deluded about, really. And we do that by m- making various kinds of investigations into the nature of our experience. Yeah. And I find that one way which can be very, very effective of doing this is simply to pursue a question in the meditation practice. So I find asking, you know, asking questions and pursuing them very, very useful. But these questions aren't to be answered in terms of thoughts. Right? The questions really are to orientate us towards our experience in the light of some principle of the Dharma. Now, the one that I'm going to just suggest we do for the next 15 minutes is around what I've already mentioned, which is the, the principle of impermanence. Yeah, so th- this is one of the most basic observations of the Buddhist tradition, um, you know, coming, as far as we know, from the Buddha himself, which is that all things are impermanent. All conditioned things are impermanent. Yeah, so anything that com- comes into being ceases to be. Yeah, so th- that was a basic truth that the Buddha taught. Now... All very well, all very well and good, but um, you know, is it true? Do we know that that's true? You know, so in practicing the Dharma, it's useless just to take on things as a kind of belief. You know, Buddhism is not a belief system in any way at all. In fact, it's a kind of anti-belief system. Yeah, I, w- I would almost say, um, well, I do say it quite frequently actually, that Buddhism is an anti-religion. It's not a religion. It's an anti-religion. It's the exact opposite of religion, if you, if you define a religion as having a belief about something. Yeah. The Dharma, Buddhism, is about directly knowing for ourselves yeah, what it's all about. Yeah, that, that's what we're engaged in if we're practicing Buddhism. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be engaging in in this uh, short practice, and we'll do some more similar things after the break. Yeah. We're trying to ascertain for ourselves whether it's true that things are impermanent. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that you'll come to a sort of final and definitive conclusion over the next 15 minutes, but at least you can start to explore this. So if you want to just set up for another period of meditation...
So just settle awareness into the body, the sensations of the body. And taking in just whatever's arising to any of your senses right now. So within that general awareness, just let there be some degree of awareness of the breathing. Not as if you're actually doing the sort of full-blown mindfulness of breathing, but just letting there be a thread of awareness of the sensations of the in-breaths and the out-breaths. So here's a question to pursue directly in your experience and not through your thoughts. So is there anything permanent in the breathing? Or anything permanent about the breathing? Permanent means unchanging.
If your mind wanders away from the investigation, don't be concerned about that. Just bring it back and continue looking for any signs of permanence in the breathing process. Okay, so you might be happy just to continue with that investigation of the breathing, but if you want to take it further, extend the thought to the question to, is there anything permanent anywhere in my experience? And then looking directly. If you think you've found something permanent, investigate it more closely. Is it really unchanging? Okay, so just let go of the investigation and just sit for a few minutes.
<coughs> okay, so just before we have a break, um, did anyone find anything permanent? I'd be very interested to hear and what it is. Or you know, any other comments or observations about that little investigation? That's what I meant. I was surprised to say that. What felt, I mean, I know it's not felt in the sense that we were born and we die and then it stopped. What do you do about things that are permanent, well, that are seen permanent within a period? So, for example, although my breathing is different every single time, mm. I can even detect that. Mm. The fact that I breathe in before I breathe out and then I breathe in before I breathe out or the other way around. Yeah. In a way that has a sort of permanence within that period of time, within the period of my life, I always breathe in before I breathe out. Yeah. Is that, that isn't permanence, is it? That's not no. That's misunderstanding the meaning of... Yeah, you're answering your own question. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say um, it's a cycle. So, I mean, a, a cycle I, I, is changing, even, even if it's changing within, you know, quite a short period, like the breath. But, you know, it's not something which is permanent and unchanging. Um, you know, it's definitely changing all the time. I mean, you could say a cycle is the, well, if you take one theory of cosmology, you know, it's like the Big Bang, the evolution of the universe, and it's, you know, its disappearance or whatever happens. You know, it's, it's like expansion, contraction. You know, that is a cycle, so it doesn't represent permanence. So, yeah, good try. <laughs> Any others? I thought the gaps between my breath might be a permanence, because even if I wasn't breathing, there'd be a gap, except the gaps are just between. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that, that, that gap is contingent upon the breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, another one. Yeah, it, yeah, it's good that you sort of uh, look at these things and examine them. Who else, Rick? I was very tired. My eyes are open, so I can't see it. Yeah. And that seemed to be kind of pretty staying still. Mm-hmm. Well, was it actually staying still? Um, I mean, when I look at the ceiling, uh, I, don't, I don't actually see the ceiling. I see lots of kind of um, spots kind of moving about. You know, yeah. And sort of, you know, I'm blinking. So the sitting disappears and comes back again. So, yeah, another good try, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fluctuating. Our experience is fluctuating. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I was being contrary, but um, I thought the fact that everything was impermanent was kind of permanent truth. Was sort of ah, well, that's, a, that's another... It's a sort of clever thing that the mind can do. The only permanent thing is impermanence. Well, yes. And change. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in that sense, I mean, the um, the, the Buddhist teaching is that uh, there are these three what are called marks or um, you know characteristics of conditioned existence, which are that they're in, it's impermanent, it's uh, unsatisfactory, and there's no abiding self in anything. Yeah. So those are three truths about the nature of existence, you know, which, which are true according to the Buddha. Yeah. So it's true, you know, it's true in that sense, but it's not true in the sense that you'll find anything which is 
actually find anything which is unchanging. You know, so it's a, it's a different... Do you get what I mean? It's a, you know, it's a different area. Yes, it is, it is a truth. You know, so that truth holds everywhere. But that doesn't mean that there is a thing. Because you know, the truth isn't a thing. It's, it's just an observation about how things are. <laughs> oh, well, maybe we need to talk in the break about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something to investigate. I mean, in a sense, that might be something that we are coming on to in the second half. In other words, we're, we're going to be investigating awareness somewhat, so you can hold that question and actually investigate it. <laughs> anyway, um, there might be quite a few other things that people could say, but uh, let's have a 20-minute break and come back at 10 to 9. OK, so let's... Do part two. Um, I thought we had an hour, but we've only got 45 minutes, so um, we just need to be relaxed and spacious about that 45 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, just say a little bit about, a little bit more about the relation between, between the system that I've already outlined, the general system of meditation that we use in the SRBO, and uh, just sitting as... Well, more as a practice in its own right. Yeah. So you know, how, how do these relate? And then there's also, I mean, some of you might have heard this term, pure awareness. Yeah. So I think, whether you've heard of it or not, um, I need to just clarify what that's about a bit. Because if you haven't heard of it already, you'll hear of it from somebody who um, basically... Uh, doesn't understand it and confuses you. And confuses <laughs> <laughs> so it's better you hear it from me. Uh, not making any claims, of course. <laughs> yeah, so obviously we've already seen and already practised the juxtaposition of just sitting and particular practices embodying those or, as it were, fulfilling the principles of the, the system. Yeah, so... You know, each principle can be embodied by a number of different practices. Uh, but just sitting is always just sitting. Yeah. Just sitting is not a practice as such because we're not trying to achieve anything. You know, all we're doing, quite literally, is just sitting. Um, but it can move into, as it were, it can move into a practice in its own right. Yeah. So that, that's the area that I want to look at now. Now, in terms of the way in which Sangrashtra taught this system of meditation, I mean, and this was way back in the early 70s before I was ever involved with the FRBO, um, apparently he used to teach just sitting in three main contexts. One was that he would usually start any practice with a short period of just sitting. You know, so if you were going to do the Mittabhavana, you'd start with a, sh- a short just sitting. Now these days, um, what we do more often is have com- some kind of brief setting up period for a a practice. So in a sense, uh, that has kind of taken the place of the just sitting at the beginning of a practice. But actually, it can still be done. You can still just settle down by just sitting for a couple of minutes and just, you know, just letting whatever happens happen. 
and then move into the practice. So that was one way in which he introduced it. And the other way was, just as we've been doing it earlier this evening, as a short period after any given practice. Uh, the third way that he used to do it would be as, as a standalone period of just sitting. Yeah, so sometimes, and I think this was particularly on retreats, or you know, say even on just a day retreat or a morning or afternoon of meditation, if there was a couple of periods, say, of mindfulness of breathing, metabhavana, uh, then there would be a third period, which would be just sitting. And I remember when I first came along to the FWO, that was quite a standard way in which we do sits on retreats. I don't know whether that still happens or to what extent that still happens, but um, you, know, you, you, you generally have a triple, a triple sit. You know, so it would be mindfulness of breathing, metabarbana, and then just sitting. Yeah. So there was a sort of precedent for doing a longer period of just sitting. Now, within our context, what happened was that uh, a lot of people found just sitting quite a sort of useful practice or a useful non-practice. I'll just sort of cut through this practice, non-practice rubbish, actually, and just call it a practice from now on. But just bear in mind that it's not a practice like the other practices is a practice in which we're actually not practicing anything. Uh, <laughs> okay, so the practice of just sitting. Um, you know, people did sort of like that practice. And actually, there was, um, in the very early days of the movement, there was a guy, a, a Zen teacher, a Japanese Zen teacher, who used to do Zen sashins. So quite a lot of the earlier, well, you know, people who are now the, the sort of oldest or longest standing order members had done sashins with this Japanese chap and um, he you know, did in fact introduce the principles of just sitting from the Zen point of view which is called Zazen or uh, Shikantaza yeah. so there were quite a few people who had an experience of uh, um, as it were more just sitting in its own right yeah, so this has always been there and um, in recent, well, in more recent years, people have been picking up on not only Chan and Zen, but also the Tibetan teachings which go into this area more. Um, Dzogchen and Mahamudra, you know, that's the, uh, the terms of them. So all of these are broadly systems and practice which involve what you could call some, for, some kind of formless meditation. Yeah, so that's another kind of generic term for it. Formless meditation just means a practice in which you're not concerned with any particular ultimate objective. You're not trying to cult, cultivate something. Yeah. You could say that formless meditation is meditation which is primarily about awareness itself. Yeah. And you also find formless meditations in the various Theravada schools, you know, so in various forms of insight meditation... Um, and mindfulness meditation, you also do get kinds of formless meditation, such as uh, choiceless awareness. You know, that, that's one term for it. So you could say that th this is sort of found throughout most of the most of the main existing schools of Buddhism do have formless meditation as well as form meditation. Yeah, so you can make that distinction, and we've got that ourselves. So we've got that, and you know, it's been something which people within the movement have been exploring. So, I mean, for instance, I've been exploring this approach for... Well, I mean, I've been familiar with just sitting as such, right, from the very beginning. But I've been 
exploring just sitting or formless meditations in their own right for about 15 years now, and um, especially exploring it through Dzogchen and Mahamudra teachings. And uh, also you know, finding quite a lot of inspiration from readings around Zen and Chan. You know, so there's a lot there. And I'm beginning to see how all of these principles fit together. Yeah, how it all sort of, how it all kind of, well, finally comes together on one point. And that, that one point is simply waking up to what we really are. Yeah, so <coughs> this is something which really is becoming part of the way in which we practice, or it's, you know, it's one way in which we can practice within the Atrabio. And you could say it's just the just sitting from within the system writ large. So all of the principles, integration, positive emotion, spiritual death, spiritual rebirth, actually all of those are present, potentially, within just sitting. Yeah, it involves all of them. Yeah. Um, now, to explain that in full would take uh, longer than we've really got, and I'd like to get down to a bit more practice. So rather than you know, sort of going into that in theory, just see if there's any questions you know, that might help me see whether what I'm, I'm saying is clear enough. <coughs> oh, well, maybe it is clear enough. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, let's, for the next um, 40 minutes, just do some exploring of just sitting as a practice in its own right. So there's two things. There's, there's just just sitting, and then there's what you could call just sitting plus, <laughs> <laughs> with added special ingredient. Yeah. Um, and what that plus is, actually, is using this questioning method as, as orientating ourselves towards investigating some aspect of our experience. So just sitting is very much about just being open to our experience, whatever's happening. Um, you know, whatever arises, as I said earlier on, you know, whatever arises is, is just sitting. So in just sitting, uh, there's something which is it's, it's quite difficult to get your head around at first, which is that nothing can possibly go wrong. You can't get just sitting wrong. You can't do it badly. <laughs> now, this might sound a bit kind of um, suspicious, yeah. because I think one thing that happens when people are doing just sitting, I know this happens to me, you're sitting there thinking, so am I doing it right? Is this, is this just sitting? Yeah. And you know, those sorts are going on. But actually... Just sitting is just what's happening. Yeah. And because we find it so difficult to accept that it's just what's happening, um, there tends to be a bit of a mental commentary going on, wondering whether, yeah, okay, he says it's just what's happening, but you know, this is happening, now surely that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't be doing this, surely. Yeah. Uh, but no, you know, actually whatever happens you know, is, is quite acceptable within within just sitting. Yeah. So in other practices, we talk about things like hindrances and antidotes. But in terms of just sitting, we don't. We don't talk about hindrances. We don't talk about antidotes. We just talk about what's happening. Now, we've already... I mean, yeah, sure, go on. Even if what's happening is getting lost in a chain of thoughts. Yes, even if what's happening is getting lost in a chain of thoughts. So I'm not trying to stop 
Yeah. No, you don't. You don't. Well, what you could say that the the the, the completely kind of um, pure form of this is that you don't attempt to adjust or manipulate anything. Okay. So if thoughts are racing on, thoughts just race on. Yeah. Um, now, there's a very, very strong tendency for us to want to do something about that. You know, especially if you're used to the approach to meditation, in which, you, you know, whenever you notice that thoughts are proliferating, you, you, you intervene, you do something about it. But in this practice, in this approach, you don't actually do anything about it. But what you are doing, you're sitting, you know, you're sitting in a meditation posture. I mean, you don't have to be in any special meditation posture, but you are sitting. You know, so there's a kind of alertness in the body. And there's, a ten, an, a, sorry, there's an intention to simply allow whatever happens to happen in awareness. So that's, in a way, that's all there is to it. So if, if proliferating thought is what's happening, then that's what's happening. But it's like there's an awareness there, and there, there's, so to speak, an orientation towards the awareness. So it's like, well, the thoughts are occurring in awareness. If they weren't occurring in awareness, there would be no thoughts. Yeah, so awareness is there all the time, you could say. I mean, I'm telling you this, but it's something that you need to explore, actually. Yeah, so thoughts are arising in awareness, and the awareness itself has an effect on the thinking. In fact, I'm just thinking now, as I say it, that maybe that's what we could do when we've just done an initial just sitting. We can do a little bit of examination of the nature of thinking as such, and how awareness impacts upon proliferating thoughts. And you know, that might give you some sort of perspective directly of what I'm talking about rather than just talking about it. So let's, let's have a go. Let's just uh, sit up. So, first of all, we'll just sit for some minutes. So, in terms of sitting up, you can just sit to sit up for just sitting, really. Um, You can do the other practices. You could do mindfulness of breathing, metabhavana, but we have done those at least before the break. So just let your awareness settle into what's there, what's happening now. And you might also find it quite interesting to have your eyes open and looking down towards the floor rather than closed. If you find that uncomfortable, don't worry, have them closed, but just experiment.
So just notice that awareness is just taking in whatever arises. So there's sights, sounds, feelings, body feelings. Maybe emotional feelings in the body, like felt senses. Thoughts or images. So just letting it all letting it all happen. Resisting anything.
to notice whether you're having any thoughts about your thoughts and what the tone of those thoughts might be. Okay, so one thing about just sitting is that it's not a meditation practice in the sense of a practice in which you're trying to enter any state other than that which is already present. Yeah. So, I mean, just sitting, although the title refers to sitting, it refers to simply something which is there all the time. It sometimes is referred to as ordinary awareness. So what that means is that when you're doing just sitting, um, whereas when we teach other practices, mindfulness of breathing, metabhavana, you know, any kind of insight practice, we emphasize developing a certain degree, you know, entering the practice, developing a quality, developing a certain degree of one-pointedness or absorption, you know, and then following that through, and then sort of coming out of the practice. Just sitting is quite different to that. It's like... You can, it's ordinary awareness, so you can just come from you know, sitting, just sitting, into, well, sitting, listening to me, just sitting, you know, into some kind of activity, seamlessly. You know. So it's a question of being, well, so to speak, being aware of the awareness, or of awareness being aware of itself. Um, so in that sense, you, know, you, you can move from just sitting, well, I mean, potentially, I wouldn't want to jar you too much, but... Uh, you know, we could move from just sitting into me talking into something else you know, quite seamlessly. You know, so that's just something to bear in mind. It's another slightly different characteristic between just sitting and the more, um, well, the other kinds of meditation practice that we do. Anyway, any, um, any observations on that short practice? Did anyone get that thing about um, noticing 
any thoughts about the thoughts going on? Did anyone get that happening? A bit of a sort of commentary on the thoughts. Right, right. So what what was the commentary saying? Just telling me what my thoughts were thinking. Right. Without me realising. Yeah, yeah. So it's like thoughts telling you what your other thoughts are thinking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did anyone else get something on that? Then you could have another thought thinking, you don't need to not judge it. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so it could go on (laughs) ad infinitum. Um, Any others? I think I just noticed how uh, how my thoughts can just proliferate into Mm. anything, really. Yeah. I just kept on, uh, I suppose, as it were, kind of waking up Mm. the fact that I was. Thinking about something completely unrelated to this present moment, really. Right, right, right. And then I'll be back for a while, then I'll be gone. That seems to be the way that it works for me. Mm. Yep, I think that's the way it works for me, too. Yeah, Yeah, so I suppose when um, when we realise what just sitting is about, uh, the mind can go wild. And I think that's partly, at least, because maybe not just in other kinds of meditation, but in our lives. We, t- you know, we tend to keep things in certain channels. You know. um, so when we just, as it were, have complete carte blanche to let whatever happens happen, the mind sort of thinks, yes, and off it goes. Now, <laughs> after, after a while, um, if you just take this from me, if you, if you haven't done a lot of just sitting, uh, after a while it does tend to quite naturally quieten down. You know, so like if you're doing a just-sitting retreat or a retreat in which there is quite a lot of just-sitting, um, you, know, you will probably find that after you know, maybe a few days, the thoughts do naturally begin to quieten down. Uh, similarly, if you're doing regular just-sitting um, in your daily practice, you'll probably find the same, that after a while, the thoughts do tend to quieten down. And in any case, if you're doing just-sitting juxtaposed with mindfulness of breathing, metabhavana and other practices. Those practices also are, of course, cultivating this quality that we call shamatha, or calming, which is really integration and positive emotion. And that also you know, has a, a kind of um, knock, knock-on effect onto the just sitting. Yeah. But you, know, you, you can find that just sitting does have its own shamatha, calming effect. Okay. So you, you'll need to give it some time if you, if you want to explore that. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that, that's what I noticed in the sit we did then. I think you touched on it earlier, you know, this idea that by somehow applying less effort, it, it becomes easier to uh, you know, become concentrated. And I guess that's one of the benefits of having a, a, a short period of just sitting at the end of a, mm. a barber practice. Mm. But I found myself becoming quite aware of the breath during that just sitting yeah. session. And um, in that, I kind of felt a strong temptation to. Mindfulness, mm, mm, breathing mm, exercise. Mm, should, you, mm. should you try and resist that temptation? Because in a way, I was trying to become less concentrated, which seemed a bit. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it, that, it's a. Really, you should let whatever happens happen. So, if, you know, if, if the mind is sort of moving towards the breath, and it's moving towards some degree of one-pointedness on the breath 
just notice that that's happening. That is just what's happening. You know, there's, there's a tendency there. Um, after a while, you'll find that it's not happening anymore. But what is the benefit in, in doing that practice? Which one? In just letting things be, letting things unravel as, as they do, and not trying to direct your thoughts in any particular way. Right. Um, well, to put it very briefly, it's, it, I mean, this is one way of putting it. Our, you could say that our, our whole kind of existential situation and that the, the suffering that we experience arises from our um, tendency to try to manipulate our experience. So, you know, all the time we're trying to make things go as we want them to go. You know, so we, basically, we want things to be pleasant and not unpleasant. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's very, very simple and very straightforward, but uh, this, is, this is kind of how we base our lives. You know? So almost all of our thoughts are about, you know, how can I get things in the direction of you know, how I want them, which is nice, and you know, away from what I don't want, which is the nasty stuff. Yeah. So... In order to achieve that, we engage in these two processes which the Buddhist tradition describes as craving and aversion, um, or you know, um, attachment. You know, you know, so th- those two general directions. So because we try to manipulate our experience in that way all the time, um, we're, in that, we're in the complete habit of manipulating reality. Yeah. In, in this conceptual way, basically, you know, from a belief that we can have what we want and avoid what we don't want, which you know, all of us know just on, uh, again, from our, um, you could say, from our conceptual understanding, that you know, that's just not, it's not, it's not going to happen. You know, we emotionally believe it's going to happen, but you know, we know, especially if we've studied sort of Buddhist teachings, that uh, it's just doomed to failure. You know, we will never always get what we want and avoid what we don't want. Yeah. So the point of this complete letting go of manipulation is to let go of those two tendencies yeah. um, and just let things be what they are. So whatever happens, whether it's present, pleasant or unpleasant, we just let it happen. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, from just allowing that to happen, things deepen because if we can let go of manipulation, conceptual manipulation, if you like, we let go of the tendencies towards this or that, and we're just here. We just have what is. Yeah. So it's a very, very simple practice of just being with what is. Um, and it goes even beyond being what with what is. You could say it is simply being what is in the end. So what is, is reality. Yeah, well, whatever. I mean, um, yeah, what is, is uh, uh, the awakened state, you could say, um, to call it that. So, you know, we're simply allowing things to be what is. And I mean, this is why with every practice that we do, there's, you know, Principally, what I refer to as the generation stage and the completion stage. And the completion stage is always simply letting things be what they are. Yeah. So each, e- each and every practice sort of ends with a completion stage. 
So you could say that just sitting in its own right is is just is just the sort of completion stage practice. Yeah. Now, I mean, you might think, okay, well, why don't we just do that and not bother with the other practices? Yeah. Well, the fact is that the other practices enable us to develop you know, important qualities without which we couldn't really absorb the impact of seeing things as they really are. Yeah. So the other practices are very important. Yeah, they're, 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 they are necessary. Yeah. But... The point is to get to, you know, so to speak, I'm, ju- I'm just using it metaphorically here, but to get to the completion stage and just simply be, you know, simply be things as they are. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where the practice is headed. Um, in brief, we've only got a quarter of an hour left now. So <laughs> let's just do another just sitting with a little investigation, okay? Oh, yeah. Well, what I would say in just sitting is that it's fine for the mind to be drowsy. Um, but it's also fine to open your eyes, to, you know, take something off, to open a window. Yeah. So, any, you know, any of those things is fine. Um, I haven't got time to go into it now, but it's also very interesting to actually investigate the drowsiness, the drowsy state. But... Uh, I won't attempt to go into that now. (laughs) Okay, so just sit there. Perfectly ordinary awareness. We're not trying to do a meditation practice. Just letting it happen, whatever's happening. It may be, in fact, it's very likely that thoughts are happening. So just bring awareness to the thoughts. And notice what happens when you bring awareness to the thoughts. There's no intention to do anything to the thoughts or with the thoughts, just bringing awareness to them.
Okay, so it's going to have to be very short. So did anyone notice anything about bringing awareness to the thoughts? Or any, um, anything in relation to the thoughts themselves when you bring awareness to them? Yeah? Um, when my awareness touched the thoughts, if, if that's all it did was touch them, the thoughts would, would become insubstantial mm. somehow. Um, maybe it's because we've been doing this for a little while now. The awareness didn't have to go with the thoughts. It touched them and then they kind of slid off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down the side somewhere. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah. Anybody else notice anything? Yeah, sure. To undo those yeah. norms, though. The thought was mm. actually quite comfortable. I'm actually right that I've moved my Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, I mean, yeah, you said as it were being given permission, but I think we need to give permission to ourselves yeah. to make meditation our own. You know, it's not like you're be- being given this sort of holy book, you know, there it is, worship it please, you know, don't change one you know, jot or tittle, whatever um, you know, it's actually, you know, th- these are just things that help us wake up yeah. so all of these methods are methods that you need to make your own, and I mean that includes uh, exploring them as fully as possible, and you know discovering as much as you can about them, but also in the end being prepared to change them, and even drop them, if, if you don't find them useful I mean, the Buddha taught the, the Dharma as a raft you know, that gets us to the other shore. You know, so you, you build a raft, you, you make it out of whatever sort of helps it float. Yeah. If you find something actually is a bit of lead and it's tending towards the bottom of the river, then you don't put it on the raft or you take it off the raft. You know, it might serve a purpose, it might not. Yeah. So it's like, it's like that with you know, we're, our practice. This practice is here to serve our awakening. It's not something which serves its own purposes. Yeah, so you know, just bear that in mind in your practice and um, you know, be as exploratory as you can. Um, anyway, little diatribe there. Um, Have you found it's, had a, it's practice had an impact on the mindfulness of breathing? Yes, yes. I mean, it has, it has an impact on all the practices. Yeah, which is why I, you know, I'm so pleased that now we're beginning to teach it as Sankaracharya intended, with you know the mindfulness of breathing followed by just sitting, Mahabhavana followed by just sitting, you know, in such a way that the just sitting is there, 
and it can have its effect. I think it, you know, in, in those terms, it just lightens things up. And um, you know, it brings a much, a much more natural and less forced way of approaching the actual practices. Yeah. So, I mean, all that is stuff that you, ex- you can explore for yourself. Um, just, just coming back to that point about bringing the awareness to the thoughts. I mean, you can obviously, there's not time to explore it fully now. Um, there are two main things you can do. One, one is that obviously you, you can explore that for yourself anytime you like in your meditation practice and just notice what happens when awareness comes to the thoughts or when the thoughts are arising in awareness. What effect does that have on the thoughts? Um, the other, even better option is to come on a retreat at Vajraloka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm leading several, um, you know, including mixed retreats. Uh, around this area per year, so you know, if you want to explore it further, and you'd like to explore it with me, then that is an option. Vajraloka's not that very far from Manchester. Um, yeah, so we've only got five minutes, but I'd just like to do one more short, very short little exercise around looking at thoughts. Okay, just to give you another another perspective, mainly which you can take up yourselves later if you wish to. So again, just sitting there, perfectly ordinary awareness. Just noticing if thoughts are happening. And for this investigation, don't worry so much about what the thoughts are about. In fact, disregard that. Just let them happen. We're concerned with the phenomenon of thinking itself. So just briefly pursuing the question, where do thoughts come from? Where do thoughts arise from? Can you catch the moment at which a thought arises and see where it comes from. So you can only do this with awareness, you can't do it with thought.
Okay, so that's just a taste, really. Although, <clears throat> I would say, actually, that if you're doing these kind of investigations, it's often more effective to do them for quite short periods of time rather than, you know, to sit there for 40 minutes and, as it were, just spacing out around them. Yeah, so if you decide to do an investigation, you know, just bring the question to mind and then do it for a period of time and then stop. Yeah. And you, know, you can then take it up again, but it's better to do it in short chunks rather than in long chunks, I find. So, what, did anyone sort of notice anything about that, you know, looking for where thoughts arise from? I, I noticed that uh, I, could, I couldn't get to any of it at first, and then, <coughs> and then I noticed, isn't it good you can't find a fault when you want one? And I just realised it seems to be words that, that come from somewhere. Mm. It seems to be that, that's, that's what food thought. Yeah, is. yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that's a good, yeah. So far, so good, I would say, with that investigation. Yeah. Anybody else have any? Thoughts about thoughts and where they come from. Hmm. I've noticed that when I direct uh, my awareness towards a thought, it very closely sees connotation quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the emotional mm. reaction. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we haven't really had time to go into that. Thoroughly, um, but again, it's something you can pursue because there is something quite interesting there. You know, when you start to look at thoughts and investigate them, well, what are they? And um, actually, where are they? You know, they seem, to, they seem to sort of, you know, one moment they're filling your mind and you can't get rid of them, and then when you want to investigate them, they've gone. <laughs> so, what's going on? <laughs> uh, this is very interesting. So, there's I'll just tell you, there's three stages to this um, investigation if you want to do it. first one is what we just did. So you know, where do thoughts come from? Looking for that. Where are they when they're here? Where do they abide when they're here? And where do they go to? Yeah, so you, you can pursue all three of those separately and you know, just investigate the nature of thought. Um, and I, I, I think you know, when, when people have done this, uh, they found it's very, you know, it, it impacts on their other practices as well because it, you know, it, it sort of it makes you realise that thoughts aren't quite as dominating and formidable and uh, irreducible as we think they are, actually. So anyway, um, we better leave it there. Yeah. <laughs>